This podcast is brought to you by Facebook. Facebook is strengthening security during elections by increasing political ad transparency, blocking fake accounts before they have a chance to do harm, and reducing the spread of false news. Learn more at facebook.com slash action plan. From Washington, this is CQ on Congress, the nonpartisan source for in-depth analysis of Capitol Hill's policy debates. I am Sean Zeller. Today, CQ Magazine publishes its annual wrap-up of the Capitol Insider Survey, our poll of congressional staffers. Each month, we ask aides to representatives and senators for their opinions about the policy debates their bosses are grappling with on Capitol Hill and about the politics guiding their decision-making. We've surveyed them about President Trump's impact on GOP electoral prospects and about Democrat strategy. Should they stonewall in the hope of gaining political advantage or seek areas of compromise? My guests today are two former aides who provide regular expert analysis on our survey results. Lisa Camuso-Miller, a former spokeswoman for Republican Speaker of the House, Dennis Hastert, and Brendan Daly, who was once a spokesman for Nancy Pelosi, the Democrat who hopes to be Speaker again. Lisa is now a partner at Reset Public Affairs, and Brendan is now Senior Director of Communications at Save the Children Action Network. Welcome to you both. Thanks very much. Thanks for having us, Sean. Let me turn to you, Lisa. We are less than a month from Election Day. What are Capitol Hill aides thinking about right now? Well, I, I think it just depends which side of the building you're talking to <clears throat> as it relates to Senate and House. I think that with 26 Republican retirements and only 23 seats to gain, it's looking uh, like a very difficult time for Republicans as it relates to um, having an assurance that this is a landslide. So I think that there are a lot of people in the House that are thinking about uh, what the future holds, especially in those leadership offices, because we've got the retirement of the Speaker and we've got some adjustment that will happen in leadership even after the election. So big changes for people in their day-to-day working lives. That's right. How about you, Brandon? What are, what are Democrats thinking about on the Hill right now? Sure. I think they're thinking the same thing, that, you know, they're certainly in the House very hopeful that uh, the Democrats can take back the House. And what does that mean? And, you know, what can they really act as a little bit of a check on President Trump? On the Senate side, as Lisa alluded to, it's a much more difficult challenge. Um, a lot of Democrat incumbent senators are in red states that President Trump won by a big margin. So they have some tough reelections. There's some seats where the Democrats are hopeful they can try to pick up in Tennessee, Arizona, some others, Nevada. But the pundits are saying that's going to be very difficult, and I think that's probably right. Uh, it really depends on the turnout, and that's really always a tricky thing to, to determine in a midterm. Certainly the anger and the emotion had been on the Democratic side. You know, we saw a little bit of a shift, I think, with the, uh, with the hearings for uh, Judge Kavanaugh. So we'll see whether that has an impact uh, next month. But, Brendan, certainly... The aides care about the politics. They care about their bosses getting reelected. But this is personal from a lot for a lot of them too, right? It is. Yeah, their jobs are on the line. You know, I was working for uh, Speaker Pelosi in 2010 when we lost 63 seats, and a lot of my friends lost their jobs. You know, and even on a personal level, I was uh, uh, reminding Sean before the the podcast that uh, in 1994 I was a young guy buying a house, and right about this time in October, and surprisingly, the bank said to me about a month out. Uh, we hear the Republicans are going to win the election, and if you if they do, you might lose your job. 
will you, uh, you know, how can you prove that you're going to be able to right, you have make that, that, would, so that you can get your That would own. only happen in Washington, D.C., right? <laughs> exactly, only in D.C. <laughs> and I was working for a guy named Gary Studs from Massachusetts, and I was able to show through polling and his history that he would win easily, which he did. But the Republicans did, in fact, take back the House, as you know. So, um, yeah, that, it's very personal. And so it's stressful, Lisa. I mean, aides are feeling a bit worried right now about their own, wh- whether they'll have a job in January. What can, If they don't, can they find a new job? Let's just say I have a few stacks of resumes on my desk for folks that I'm trying to be helpful to, because I do think that regardless of what the shift is, everybody's worried about what January means for them. Okay. And the good news is that, you know, these people are talented. They'll find things. But it's still stressful, even if you, you know, are confident you'll find something. It's a big change. Yeah. Um, Donald Trump hovers over all of this, of course. And a little context. We've been polling congressional staffs since before the 2016 election, since 2015. And we found that Republican aides were were never very enthused about him. They preferred Marco Rubio, the Florida senator in the Republican primaries that year. And many of them on the eve of the election said they weren't going to vote for Trump. So asked in our polling this year if Trump helps or hurts Republican senators and representatives running for office, GOP aides have split, which is in a bit a surprise. They're more positive about Trump than they were at that time. Most still say that Trump hurts them, but a sizable minority say he helps. What should we make of that, Lisa? If you ask those, those that say that he is helping are those that are pointing to the successes, the fact that he has, regardless of the, um, the excitement around the Kavanaugh nomination, he has appointed and nominated and seated two Supreme Court justices. He has made uh, traumatic and, excuse me, dramatic uh, change as it relates to tax reform. Those aides are likely policy aides, in my opinion, folks that are seeing success, seeing progress on the Hill in some of the areas that um, they like to point to as positives as it relates to the president. If you're talking to the others that think that maybe it hurts, I would suspect that those are communicators or who are having to defend some of the positions and some of the things that the president says that aren't traditional message points that we're used to uh, in Washington, D.C. They are a lot more um, exciting and a lot more uh, difficult to defend. And Lisa, this could be also be regional differences. I mean, we know President Trump is very popular among people who say they're Republicans in the polls, and that in certain parts of the country, he is loved. In other parts of the country, uh, suburbs around big cities, for example, he's not as well-liked. So Perhaps that's what we're seeing in the in the I think polling that's results. Also, I think that's also very true. Okay, Brendan, the dilemma for Democrats this year has been how much to resist, which is what their progressive base wants them to do, and how much to cooperate with President Trump when opportunities arise. It's been a real mixed bag in our poll. The aides have been the Democratic aides have been very divided on this question. And why do you think they are? Well, I think that, you know, the impulse of the Democratic aides is probably to try to get something done. And they want to work with whoever's in in charge. And certainly when I was working for Speaker Pelosi and and President Bush was president, we did a number of things together on a stimulus package, on an energy bill, any any number of other bills. And I think the hope was that he would work together on infrastructure. He talked about that. Nothing's happened on that. Even as the vice of a topic is immigration, I think there is some you know, hope that they could have done something like that. That's become so partisan and so poisoned that there's no chance of that now. Um, so I, I think there may be some in your polling showing split, but I think for the most part, the Democrats are pretty united and they want to resist this president. This harkens back, I think, to the Obama years. There's a lot of history here. 
the Democrats felt that during the Obama years, the Republicans were unnecessarily resistant to his agenda, that he tried to propose things that should have appealed to Republicans, and they, they stonewalled him just for electoral advantage. But Democrats have a bigger quandary here because they are the party that says government can work and government can do th good things for the American people. No, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And they want to get something done. Um, but as I mentioned on the Kavanaugh um, hearings, there also is that difficult political situation, particularly for what's so-called red state Democrats, like a Heidi Heitkamp in North Dakota or Joe Manchin in West Virginia or Joe Donnelly in Indiana. There's any number of them um, where they have a president who's very popular in their state. And even if they personally may have some issues on certain things, they have to be careful how far they oppose him. Um, and so, you know, because we're in Washington, D.C., we're in an election year, politics is never far from their minds. And it has to be because they have to get reelected. Um, I know a lot of my Democratic friends were very disappointed in, in Senator Manchin's vote for Judge Kavanaugh. But, you know, you look at that state, he was in a very difficult position. And so, um, you know, then you look at Senator Heidkamp and she decided, OK, I'm going to vote. I'm going to vote against him because I just can't uh, I can't abide by uh, you know his demeanor at the hearings and some concerns she had. So. Um, it's it's a difficult time in that sense, but I do think that you know overall Democrats are pretty feeling pretty confident that the uh, the momentum and the issues are with them, and that there's going to be you know at least somewhat of a blue wave this uh, November. You bro both brought up the Kavanaugh confirmation fight. I've never seen the polarization worse than it was during that fight, and that's saying something because we've been in a very polarized time. And yet we've seen a few bipartisan accomplishments this year, and they shouldn't be minimized. The Congress has passed five appropriations bills by the end of the fiscal year. That's the first time in over 20 years that has happened. They passed a bill to combat opioid abuse, a big, big piece of legislation. They eliminated on a bipartisan basis some Dodd-Frank financial regulations on mid-sized banks. And they reauthorized controversial anti-terrorism authorities, surveillance authorities. It kind of runs counter to the image of a Washington in total breakdown. What do you think, Lisa? I think that that's absolutely true. I think that, that people feel that way. I also think, though, that— um, But how did they get it done? I mean, amidst this pressure on the Democrats to resist, Republicans struggling with Donald Trump— Well, let's hope, Sean, that it's because— <laughs> They know they have a job to do, and it's about time that they do it. I think that that was a lot of the sentiment that we saw when President Trump was elected in 2016. I think that they felt like there was a general sentiment of uh, dissatisfaction with Washington as a whole, that the process was not working, that the people in America were suffering, and they needed to see action. They see needed to see change. Uh, and those were ways that they could work together uh, to get those, um, those accomplishments done the, in the right way. Right. I mean, this contrasts with 2017 when we saw the Republicans make a failed effort to repeal Obamacare, the 2010 health care law, and then on a party line basis, overhaul the tax code. This year, Brendan, we've seen these small, um, less controversial pieces of legislation move. Uh, with all the pressure on Democrats, how are they doing that? Well, because as Lisa said, there are things that the, both parties agree on. There's one that you didn't even mention that you know I work with that Save the Children is on early education. We had a big increase in child care and in Head Start funding because both parties understand the, the importance of that and how we really need to do things to, to give kids a strong start in life. And so even in a partisan atmosphere, there are things that can be done where po the, the parties agree. I go back to immigration for a moment. If you 
uh, Speaker Pelosi always says that, or, uh, Leader Pelosi now, with soon she hopes to be Speaker, uh, that if you let the Congress vote on an immigration bill, a moderate bill, that it would pass. But there's extremes on both sides who will not even let it come up for a vote, and therefore it won't pass. Um, you see that in a number of appropriations bills, where there's, you know, particularly the uh, the Freedom Caucus will oppose it. But and so that's then the, the far right caucus. The far right the caucus, House. exactly. And so Speaker Boehner and now Speaker Ryan have had to come to uh, Mrs. Pelosi and say, we need Democratic votes for this. And then, therefore, she was able to get some Democratic priorities in the budget bills. That's a great point. Um, and that's how it, that's how it happens. But um, it's just, uh, you know, it, it's hard in a general sense because there is such polarization and divide in the country and in the Congress. But there are certain things that both sides agree on, and they can get it done. It's reassuring. You're listening to CQ on Congress. And now a word from our sponsor. We'll be back after this. During election season, it's important to know who's behind the political and issue ads we see on Facebook. That's why Facebook is increasing political ad transparency with tools to help you get more information about who paid for those ads, what other ads they ran, and how much was spent. You can also search for this information on their ad archive. Visit Facebook.com slash action plan to learn more about their ongoing efforts. I'm back with Lisa Camuso-Miller and Brendan Daly talking about CQ's Capital Insiders Survey, our poll of congressional staffers. We were just talking about what Congress has gotten done this year. And Brendan, you raised the immigration bill, something they haven't gotten done. We asked staffers in January if there would be action this year on some of these big issues around immigration, health care, gun control, infrastructure. And the aides were modestly optimistic but none of that got done. Why, Lisa, do you think Congress has struggled with those big, highly politicized issues? Well, this isn't the first year they've struggled, I'll say that. No, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I think, though, that, uh, that they're, they're difficult issues. I mean, I think that, you know, we've said it before, healthcare is incredibly complex. It's difficult to deal with it in a complex and a, a comprehensive way. Maybe it makes better sense to peel off pieces at a time to make it not only to be able to prove that we've done something, but that we've done it right. And I think that that uh, is, is an approach that the people in the country are looking for, too. The electorate is generally dissatisfied when they hear that, once again, Congress is going to muck up my health care because they need health care and they want it. And regardless of whether or not it's worth working perfectly, they need it. And so we've got to get that right. Uh, and I think that aides that work on those issues specifically all day long, every day, know that these are complex because they understand how difficult all the various pieces are when they work together and work together right. Okay, Brendan, on that on that point, these on these big issues is do you think politics is playing a role here that the that the the members want these issues for the election, that their their base cares that their side wins and they're not gonna therefore compromise? Politics in Washington, Sean, you must be kidding. How can that how can that be? Of course politics plays an issue. And you know, to just, you know, for a moment put my partisan hat on, I do think that part of it is the President Trump's leadership. He has really decided to just play to his base. He really, uh, even on things that he sort of says he was for. Remember during the gun control debate, he was for it for, you know, a brief moment he had. Right, he come took in, on the NRA. And then he took it away. Immigration, mm -hmm. the same thing, infrastructure, you know, healthcare even. And instead, the Republicans keep passing, you know, for a long time, just kept passing bills to repeal Obamacare. And that, of course, was never going to go through. 
So they're trying to chip away at it a, a piece by piece. And the Democrats feel like, no, they've got to hold together to, to preserve that. That was a big victory. I mean, we're still fighting about it, Sean, eight years after that became law. And that was a long battle for several years to become law. It's really kind of astonishing, but it shows the divide and the, the different perspectives that folks have. And so yeah, there's a certain amount of politics that people want to play to their base because they got to. You have to motivate people to come out and vote and say, "Look, we need to get more of our people in so we can get this bill passed." All right. Speaking of voting, in 25 days, the American people will elect 435 representatives and 35 senators. The aides have mostly reflected um, when we've asked them the conventional wisdom that the Democrats stand a very good chance of retaking the House. But the Republicans are likely to hold on to the Senate. And yet there's been a, a decent-sized minority that said that maybe the Republicans hold the House and maybe the Democrats pick up a seat or two in the Senate and take the Senate. Are these aides who are thinking optimistically for their side, are they naive or do they have reason to think the results are not yet set in stone, Lisa? I think they're probably reflecting back on on what the polls were telling us when Eric Cantor was running uh, in Virginia, and we found out on election night that those polls were incorrect. I think a lot of folks are holding on to the hope that um, conventional wisdom was that Donald Trump was not going to be elected president. I think that they are still holding on to the idea that maybe perhaps there is something going on in the states that is um, not yet detectable here in Washington, D.C. I give all of them a lot of credit, and I hope that they're right. Well, one thing that we haven't asked them about yet, and I think we will in the October pre-election Capital Insider Survey, is about the effect of Brett Kavanaugh, his, his confirmation to the Supreme Court on the election. That's the big question right now. Um, and I'm curious how you guys see it. I mean, uh, a lot of Republicans are saying this is motivating our voters in these uh, red states where our our uh, Senate candidates stand to defeat Democratic incumbents. But Democrats are saying, well, in the, in the cities, in their suburbs, um, where the seats are in play, this is going to fire up women voters and, and help us. Uh, what do you make of it, Brandon? Well, I, I think that's, that's exactly right. And, and women voters were certainly already motivated. There's always that gender gap, and it's kind of gotten wider over time. You know, I, depending on the polls you look at, it can be 15 or 20 points, which is significant. Uh, and I think this is just going to anger women. You know, certainly if you look at the, you know, my own family and people that I talk to, they are outraged by it. And um, the polls show that around the country. Um, the question is, uh, were they already motivated? Some of these folks were already motivated and are, just, are they just getting even more energized or is it bringing in new people? Because part of what the Democrats' challenge has been is to particularly bring in young people who don't traditionally vote in midterm elections. We know older folks over 50 do, and particularly those over 60 vote, and they vote Republican for the most part. And so the Democrats really need younger people. They need more women. They need people of color who don't traditionally vote in such large numbers on midterms. They do in the presidentials. And, and so it's, that's why you don't know. Even though the polls are saying one thing, until you actually have the vote, and we don't know who's actually going to come out and vote. Um, and, you know, I have my doubts about the Republicans thinking that it's going to help, help them because in the end, Judge Kavanaugh was seated on the Supreme Court. So to me, that's going to mute a little bit of their anger about so, the so-called process and how the Democrats tried to, to ruin a good Right. Man. They got what they wanted. But at the same time, I, rem I recall the Republicans were really, in a way, kind of thrilled about the scene on Capitol Hill with the protesters screaming at them. Some of them were taping the protesters and tweeting out 
the tapes and showing that what they what they were saying was Democrats unhinged, liberals unhinged, and that their voters who were lacking in motivation now are just as motivated as the Democrats. Do you think they're they're right to feel enthused, Lisa? I think they're motivated. I think they're excited and they're happy that things are going uh, the way that they had hoped that there would be progress here in Washington. I think one of the exciting for me as a as a as a woman, as the mom of a young daughter, uh, I'm excited about the prospect of women becoming more active in the process. And I do hope that regardless of um, how they feel, whether they're Republicans or Democrats, that they will be more motivated to come out and to pull that lever and to make those choices, because I do think that that is a voice that we need more and more every day. There is there is a movement in this country that is happening. It's happening for a reason, because people have an opinion about the direction that the country is going. And I think that that's exciting for me, setting aside my partisan hat for a moment, because I think that that's just an exciting new um, development in the electorate. And I hope that, that that proves to be true. However, I think people have short memories. And I think that Judge Kavanaugh being seated and four four weeks later there being an election. I'm not sure how motivated people get. I hate to say it, but life gets in the way of uh, people feeling excited about elections. Okay, last thing for you too. After election day, both parties will take internal caucus votes to select their new House leaders. The Democrats will have to choose whether Nancy Pelosi will lead their caucus in January, whether she's the speaker or the minority leader. And a lot of their candidates have refused to say that they would support Pelosi. Um, Some have said they would vote against her. But the aides we surveyed, House Democratic aides, were overwhelmingly supportive of Nancy Pelosi. Why so, Brendan? Because she's done a really good job to hold a very diverse caucus together and she knows how to count votes. So if she is going to run again, she will know how to get the votes that she needs. Um, I do think there's no question about that. If, you know, there is the disappointment, though, and somehow the Democrats do not take back the House, then I think all bets are off, and that's a, it's a different scenario. But assuming that the Democrats do take back the House, part of it depends a little bit even on the, on the majority. If it's a very razor-thin majority, and as you pointed out, some of the candidates have said they won't uh, vote for, that makes it a little more challenging. Um, some of them have been skillful how they worded it, though. They have not said, I'll never vote for her. They just sort of say, she wouldn't be my first choice. They, they've given themselves a little bit of wiggle room, and I think that's smart of them to do that. Um, it's interesting to me because the Republicans, you know, for ever since she's been speaker, have run against her. And in certain states I just saw this morning, they're still running ads against her. But, you know, the biggest argument uh, for against her as, as speaker is that she's a drag on the ticket. Well, if the Democrats take back the House... That argument is sort of taken away. Like, no, they won despite the Republicans attacking her repeatedly as they have election after election. Um, even if she were to step down, they would attack her. Look, they're attacking Hillary Clinton, who's not running for anything. And they she's in so many ads now. So that's just the way they, they operate. And it's a, kind of a bogeyman for the Republicans. Um, you know, we'll see what, what happens, but I wouldn't bet against Nancy Pelosi. Lisa, do you think going after Nancy Pelosi and Hillary Clinton in ads is an effective strategy for the Republicans? It, with a leadership race that's coming up that looks like it's going to be uh, predominantly uh, a men-led uh, effort, I think that this is a time when running ads against women is not probably the strongest strategy. I think there are better ways to uh, to talk about the differences between the Republican and the Democrat Party rather than going after women that are in leadership where we have a bit of a uh, disadvantage in that category. All right, Lisa, on the Republican side, Speaker Paul Ryan is retiring. Mm -hmm. He will be replaced, uh, whether as speaker or as minority leader 
in the new Congress. The front runner is Kevin McCarthy, the current number two. He's the majority leader. But he was also the front runner three years ago when John Boehner stepped aside. And the aides we, we surveyed think McCarthy will get it, but a sizable number of them say it's going to be Steve Scalise, the number three, the House Republican whip. Is this a cakewalk for McCarthy? Oh, no, I think he's got a fight on his hands. I do think that it's I don't think it's going to be a cakewalk. Steve Scalise is very well liked inside of the conference. He is very well regarded uh, by all of his colleagues. And and um, Mr. McCarthy has had some challenges. He's upset some folks over the course of the last couple of years as it relates to his leadership style. But I do think that um, he will be the victor. I think that he will be uh, the leader, whether it's a uh, speaker or um, minority leader. And I do think that the two of them will stay uh, will stay together. I think that they'll lead the, the conference well. Thank you, Lisa, for joining us. Thank you, Brendan, for joining us. Thanks, Thanks for, for having us. us. And thank all of you for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, NPR One, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And please rate us on iTunes. For more on this and other stories, visit RollCall.com or find us on Twitter at CQNow or at RollCall.